Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. Fantastic. If you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. How many of you were here last week and you enjoyed the worship Sunday, just singing and worshiping and praising God? Yes, I heard from so many people. Rachel told me this morning, she said, baby, look, last Sunday was so powerful. It was so strong. Don't be weak today. Hey, for real, true story. I had a guy I talked to on the phone this weekend. He said, Pastor, look, I hadn't been to church uh, since COVID, but last Sunday was my first Sunday back. And, uh, man, we were singing, and, man, the songs were just incredible, and I was listening to all these new songs. I started writing them down, like, man, that's an amazing song. Oh, that one's even incredible. And then you got up there to speak, and he said, I was thinking, oh, Pastor Mike, don't mess this up. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to try not to mess you up today, all right? Mark chapter 2. We're going to get into word. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be strong. Oh, God's word always works when you put it to work. Can I have a good amen? Mark chapter 2, verse 13. The Bible says, then Jesus went out to the lake shore again, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Somebody say disreputable. Other disreputable sinners. Here's probably my favorite portion of this text. The scripture includes there were many of this kind among Jesus's followers of this kind. Let me ask you, are you of this kind? There were so many of this kind following Jesus. Verse 16, but when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? This kind, disreputable. Why is he eating with such scum? Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Can I have an amen for the reading of the word? This this is going to be so fun today. The title of the message this morning is simply this, Dinner with a Sinner. Come on, dinner with a sinner. How many of you, you love food? Oh, yes, you do. Some of you just woke up. When I start talking about food, you're like, hey, that's my love language right there. You know, the older I get, the more I like food. The more biblical food becomes. It sticks closer than a brother. Come on, somebody. (laughs) One of my favorite questions I love this, you know, and especially on a Sunday. I love when somebody says, hey, where are we going to eat? 
How many of you have already made a meal plan today? Yeah, some of you during the sermon is your favorite time to text this to your friend or family member. Hey, where are we eating after church today? Food is so important to me. I wake up and I, I think about breakfast. And while I'm eating breakfast, I'm making plans for lunch. Anybody know anybody like that? Yes. But you know, there's a difference between eating out. And I love to eat out. I, I, I think South Louisiana, we have the best food in the whole world. And I've traveled the world. I was a missions pastor for five years, and I've been in other countries and cultures, and you won't find better food than right here in South Louisiana. And all of God's people said, I love it. I love eating out, but you know there's a difference between eating out and inviting someone over to dinner. You know, when you're hosting a meal, there's a difference because it takes work. It takes a lot of work, and not just meal prep, but if you were to invite me to, to dinner at your house, how many of you would clean your house? Yeah, see, I didn't know. See, when Rachel and I first got married, I didn't know what a big deal this was. I thought, you know, when we're having dinner at our house, you meal prep. I didn't realize that meal prep included mopping and making beds. I thought it was just about food. And in fact, I, I'm, I'm the kind, I'm a little spontaneous. I'll see somebody be in a conversation, be like, hey, y'all, won't you come to our house and eat? Fellas, have you ever invited someone to dinner at your house and you didn't tell your wife? And then you get in the car and you're going home. <laughs> oh, hey, babe, look, you, I think I invited a family over to dinner tonight. And she's like, what? How many know it makes for an interesting ride home? <laughs> Eating out is one thing, but a meal at your house is another. And in this portion in Mark chapter 2, Jesus gets invited to a dinner. And the religious people of his day, it throws their world upside down. There are three groups of people I want to identify in this passage. And I want to teach us out of it today. I want to talk about the far away. I want to talk about the Pharisee, and then I want to talk about the physician. The far away, the Pharisee, and the physician. If you're taking notes, write down the far away. This is who Levi was. He was a, a tax collector. And many of you understood, you, you know the context of what was happening 2,000 years ago. For a Jew to be a tax collector, he was despised. I mean, he was considered to be a traitor. Uh, he worked for the Roman government. Now, listen, the Romans hated the Jews. But for a Jew to work for the government and then to turn around and collect taxes from his Jewish brothers was like the worst of the worst. You weren't loved by anybody. Oh, but you were filthy rich because through price gouging, you would, you would oppress your brothers for extra taxes. You would pay the, the Roman government what belonged to them, and then you would pocket the rest for yourself. And so Levi is this tax collector. He was kind of cast out of Jewish life. He wasn't welcomed into the synagogue. He was wealthy, but he was alone. And what's amazing to me is the Bible says that Jesus sees Levi in his tax collecting booth and says, I want you on my team. Is anybody fascinated by the people God chooses? 
I mean, as Jesus is building his team, and he's going to use this team to transform the world, he doesn't go to necessarily the who's who of the Christian zoo. He's not going to the local seminaries and saying, give me your best Bible college students. Give me those who graduated, you know, top of the class with, with degrees and their, their masters of divinity and their doctorate in theology. He goes to this tax collecting booth. He sees Levi and he says, I want you on my team. The Bible says he was disreputable. The Bible says that there were many people of this kind that followed Jesus. You see, sometimes Jesus welcomes people that you and I dismiss. The Bible says that Jesus, here's one of my favorite things about him, and there's so much to love about Jesus. How many love Jesus today? What do you love about him the most? One of my favorite things about Jesus, the Bible says he's known as a friend of sinners. That kind of throws people off a little bit, doesn't it? That kind of makes, well, it's it's a head scratcher. What do you mean a a friend of sinners? I remember when when we first started pastoring the church, Rachel and I, 10 years ago, I was having a conversation. I ran into a guy in, in public, and he goes to another church, and in this conversation, he was talking to me, and he said, well, Mike, you know what they call you in this city? I mean, I'm like, no, what, what do they call? You know what they say about HPC, don't you? I'm like, no, what? Well, they say that's the sinner's church. It's the sinner's church. And he meant it to be like offensive, but I didn't take it that way at all. I kind of, I thought, wow, that's pretty awesome. I kind of felt like that was a compliment. If Jesus is a friend of sinners, then this is an environment that welcomes the friends of Jesus. Some of you are like, well, pastor, are you being soft on sin? I know that there's a religious knee-jerk reaction that we have sometimes when we see Jesus hanging out with sinners. Mike, are you, are you dismissing the sinfulness of humanity? Are, are, and I know the, the reputation that's out there. The healing place is the, the sinner's church because we're soft on sin. No, 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 we're not soft on sin. If you're soft on sin, then you you disrespect the cross. Jesus had to die on a cross because of the sinfulness of humanity. I'm not being soft on sin. I just want to show great love for the sinner. I I want to create an environment where people who are, are broken and in darkness, man, when they step into this environment, that they receive something, they feel something, they're encountered with a power that this world can't offer. You see, people are in process, and as a body of believers, we've got to respect the process. Here's kind of the way I want to illustrate it. I know I've used this before in the past, but I want you to see this in terms of a number line. If you would, put this number line up on the screen, and you'll notice something about this number line. You'll notice right in the middle is zero. And so it's kind of a a, a simple mathematical picture of where people are. I know it's oversimplified, but I think this will help us as we talk about the process people are in. You see, right in the middle is zero, and the numbers to the right are positive numbers. And we know that those numbers go to infinity. The numbers to the left are negative numbers, and that number line goes to infinity as well. For the purpose of this illustration and helping to identify where people 
people are. This number line is going to give us a, a picture. I know that every time we gather, there are three different kinds of people among us. There are sinners, there are saints, and there are skeptics. You're in one of three categories. You're either a sinner, you're a saint, or you're a skeptic. And somewhere you fall into this number line. If we say that zero is the line of faith, okay, zero. There are some people here today that are at a negative five. Maybe you're in darkness. Maybe church is brand new to you. Maybe you've been hurt in your past. Maybe you've had all kinds of challenges and obstacles that have put you on the negative side of this number line. But when you say yes to Jesus, that zero is a line of demarcation. We cross the line of faith, and now we begin to grow in a positive direction. Are you with me? Maybe some of you have been saved for a few days. Maybe some of you have been saved for a few years. Maybe you're at a one. Maybe you're at a five. Maybe you're at a 10. Here's the picture. Every one of us falls somewhere on this number line. The goal of heaven is to help you identify where you are. Remember in the, in the Garden of Eden, God said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't because God was confused. God knew where Adam was all along. God was trying to help Adam locate himself. Wherever you find yourself, whether it's a negative one, negative five, or positive one, positive five, the goal of heaven is to help you identify where you are and move you to the right. Are you with me? It's moving people to the right. You say, Mike, I've already crossed the line of faith. I'm a five. Great. The Holy Spirit wants you to be a ten. Holy Spirit's going to help you bear fruit in your life and look like, act like, walk like, talk like, live like Jesus. How many of you know that number line goes to infinity? And so maybe you're, you're, you're a Christian and thank God, but you've got room to grow. Can I have a better amen? Maybe you're here today and you're at a negative three or a negative seven. And man, life is just hard and man, you're in darkness. Maybe the goal for you today is, if you're at a negative seven, is to hear a message like this and you move one step to the right. And now you're at a negative six. Well, 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 I haven't said yes to Jesus yet. That's okay. The goal of heaven is to help locate where you are and move you to the right. You see, the problem with the church is those who are on the positive side of things often look at those who are on the negative side of things and think, man, there's just no way. We got to separate ourselves from those in the negative. Are you is this making sense? You see, you just don't know where somebody is in their relationship to Jesus. You may think they're at a negative 10, but really they're at a negative 1. Jesus sees Levi at his tax collecting booth. And I guarantee you most of the people of that day thought that Levi was way, way, way to the left. But Jesus looks at Levi and says, hey, I want you to come follow me. They didn't have any idea that Levi was at a negative one sitting in that tax collecting booth. And all it took was one question to move him to cross the line of faith. Can I tell you, some people are closer than you think. That person at work that you say, man, there's just no chance. I'm telling you, respect the process. Plant the seed, water it with prayer. You're not going to criticize anybody into transformation. You're going to have to love them where they are to move them to the right. Can I have a good amen? 
You see, Levi was a tax collector, you say, but he, he followed Jesus. He left it all to follow Jesus. If he was saved, maybe that was the point of salvation for him. If he was saved, maybe he was just barely saved. How many of you know some barely saved people? How many members when you were just brand new, barely saved? I remember hearing a, a story. I think Kenneth Copeland was preaching a, a revival meeting, and there was a group of, of hardcore bikers, tattooed, leathered, pierced. I mean, a whole group of them that came forward and, and received Jesus Christ. So he pulls one of them up on stage, and, and he says, man, tell us what God has done in your life. And so he begins to share the story about how, you know, the, the, the hard background that he had, the conviction that he felt, the love of Jesus that brought brought him to that moment. So Kenneth Copeland says, hey, we're going to bless the Lord. Why don't you just bless the Lord right now? So this biker begins to bless God, and all of them just celebrate and worship. And then so after they praise the Lord, then he says, now we're going to curse the devil. I want you to curse the devil. Gave him the microphone, and that dude started cussing a blue streak. <laughs> he was told to curse the devil, so that's all he knew. Come on, somebody. Jesus invites Levi to be a disciple, so guess what Levi does? Levi says, well, if you've invited me to be your follower, I want to invite you to my house for dinner. And this is where the story gets really fragile because Jesus says yes. Just as Levi said, yes, I want to be your disciple, Jesus said, yes, I'm coming to your house. Now, how many of you would have to clean up your house if Jesus was coming over for lunch? Oh, yes. You got to get the house in order. Levi, all he has is a bunch of hoodlum friends. So he invites his, his disreputable, sinful, despising friends to have dinner at his house with Jesus. And by accepting this invitation at Levi's house, Jesus is throwing the door of the kingdom wide open to people. The kingdom of God isn't for those who think they're already good. Now the kingdom comes to visit those who know they need help. You see the difference now? I think this is what I love about Jesus. Sharing a meal is Jesus' way of intentionally accepting them as friends. Can I ask you this? How are we going to transform darkness if we don't step into darkness with the light. As a church, this is very important to us. You know, there are a number of things that we do to step into darkness. I think about, and some of you may not even know this, we do street ministry, and once a month, we'll send a ministry team to the strip clubs. So we have a team that goes in on a Friday night and brings roses. You, you don't know this. You give a rose with a card from Healing Place Church on Friday nights in the strip clubs to the dancers. Now, listen, this is, not, this is an all-ladies ministry team, all right? So, guys, we're... <laughs> we're <laughs> I need to clarify this. We're... <laughs> Some fellas be like, well, I might need a little sign up for a little missions opportunity. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is ladies only. <laughs> Rachel, you wanted me to clarify that, right? I want to make sure. 
Okay, I made sure to say that. All ladies ministry team going into the strip clubs, giving, giving roses with a card and a little care package that says, hey, you matter to God, so you matter to us. You see, you got to love people where they are if you want to move them to the right. Now, we don't necessarily go in to pray the prayer of salvation, but we go in to plant a seed. Because some girl may not value herself, but she gets a rose and she sees the message from a church that cares and thinks, well, maybe I'll give God another chance. And she goes from negative one to a zero, and she's crossed the line of faith. How did she get there? Well, somebody had to go into the negative numbers to pull her in a positive direction. I remember when I was a college pastor years ago. Now I'm old. Man, I remember when I was first called to ministry, I was young and good looking. Now I'm just good looking. <laughs> Can I get an amen, Rachel DeLynn? She's shouting me down. When, when I was a college pastor, we did, we, we, it was called late night because we did a service late at night. Well, we took late night to the varsity, which is the number one bar on the campus of LSU. And I can remember what that stirred up, the fact that we would go into a bar and have church. Man, it stirred up some, some questions. How many know I got some emails? There were a lot of people that were not happy that we would take the church into a place like a bar. But you know what? How is darkness going to step into light if light doesn't first shine into darkness. Say, Mike, were you drinking? No, we shut the bar down. And we went in there and we did Sunday morning church in the varsity. You know, Jesus is trying to teach us something here. By having dinner with a sinner, he's saying there's hope for everyone. Uh, see, some of, some of us are down and out. Uh, some of us are up and out. You know, but, but either way, we're out. And God says, no, I want you in. I'm trying to bring you in. You see, Levi, he, we probably know him better as Matthew, okay? God changes his name from Levi to Matthew. Matthew means gift of God. You see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not Levi, Mark, Luke, and John. It's Matthew. Matthew gets a new name because he has a new assignment. Matthew begins to refer to him. He's the writer of the gospel of Matthew, which I think is fascinating. He doesn't refer to himself as Levi anymore. He calls himself Matthew. Why? Because Jesus changed his life. And can I tell you, when Jesus changes your life, he has the power to change everything about you. Matthew was more concerned with where he was going than where he had been. That's why he didn't refer to himself as Levi. He called himself Matthew. Are you catching this? You see, salvation comes to us as a gift. The name Matthew literally means gift of God. And a fresh start, a new beginning, it comes to us from heaven. The light of eternity stepping down into the darkness of our world. I love it. You know, it's interesting to me how in Joshua chapter 2, Joshua refers to Rahab as the prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. But in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew refers to Rahab as in the lineage of the Messiah. 
You see, Matthew didn't want Rahab to be known by her past. Matthew understood God doesn't judge me by where I've been. Come on, somebody. How many of you know you can't judge somebody by their past? Because they don't live there anymore. Jesus was calling Levi from his tax collecting booth. He says, now your name is Matthew. When God redeems you, he purchases the naming rights of your soul. When God saves you and he heals you and he forgives you and he redeems you, he moves you forward. Number one, the far away. Number two, let's talk about the Pharisee. The Pharisee. Look at what it says in verse 16. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, hey, why does your guy eat with such scum? Now, notice, notice the thoughts of the Pharisees. We're talking about the generous, gracious power of Jesus to befriend a sinner and transform their life. But the Pharisees couldn't embrace it. All the Pharisees could do was criticize. You know, the word Pharisee means separated one. It was a religious sect in Judaism, and they stayed away from those kind of people. In fact, they, were, they prided themselves of being distant from those kind of people. Let me tell you something about the Pharisees. The Pharisees had perfect doctrine but their hearts were all messed up. They were right in their theology, but they were so misinformed in their practice. You know, they thought themselves to be holy and everybody else as being unholy. Can I tell you this? The only thing that makes you and me holy is the blood of Jesus. Because all of us are filled with potential to mess things up. Man, you, you could leave this service today and go out there and make one mistake and just, I mean, it doesn't take much to make a mess of things. You and I have a propensity to sin. We have a sin nature. That's why we need a Savior. And the blood of Jesus is the only thing on my resume that allows me to say I'm holy. You know, I put this list together. You might be a Pharisee if. Y'all want to hear it? No, you don't. <laughs> you might be a Pharisee if you tend to judge others by their actions, but you judge yourself by your intentions. All right, you didn't like that one. How about this? <laughs> you might be a Pharisee if you act one way at church, but another way at home or work. Listen, if you have to tell people you're a Christian, I don't get it. Some people feel like that's their assignment. In life. Oh, I just want to inform you. I love God. I cuss a little, but I love God. What? Wait a second. Consistency. You might be a Pharisee if you love to post all of your spiritual achievements on social media. Now, nothing's wrong with having a good testimony. I mean, let's celebrate what God is doing. But didn't Jesus say, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing? Anyway. Okay, you might be a Pharisee if you're quick to criticize others, but you won't receive correction yourself. Oh, man, it's easy to detect the Pharisee in others, but it's hard for me to see the Pharisee in me. 
Ooh, the, I need to preach a sermon called the Pharisee in me. The Pharisee in me. Okay, you might be a Pharisee if you, you're offended by the shortcomings of others, but you don't recognize your own. Uh, you might be a Pharisee if you preach your personal convictions more than loving people. You might be a Pharisee if you build yourself up by tearing other people down. And finally, you might be a Pharisee if while taking this little diagnostic test, you were thinking about someone else. (laughs) I love you. I love you. Come on, turn your neighbor and say, Pastor loves me. But the truth is, some of you need a Pharisectomy. Babe, I didn't get permission to say that. Is that okay for me to say that? You know what a pharisectomy is? Man, it's cutting that religious spirit out of you. Some of us need some surgery in our soul. Come on now. Lord, save me from myself because I am the worst sinner I know. What did we say several weeks ago? If you're not the worst sinner you know, you don't know yourself very well. Man, it's hard for me to judge somebody else. I can't take the speck out of your eye because I've got a plank. I've got a redwood forest in my own eye. Mm-mm-mm. Listen, the, the danger, Jesus warns his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. He's telling his people, hey, look, you're kind of raw. You're un, unrefined. Man, you're, you're, you're fishermen. You know, you're tax collectors. Nobody here is a professional believer at all. And I like it that way. Be careful of the professional Christians, the Pharisees. A little leaven will destroy the whole lump. That's why he had to warn them. You know why? Because they argued among themselves over who would be the greatest. That's what a Pharisee does. You know why? Because they wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. And Jesus like, wait a second. If anybody's going to be judged, judgment starts in the house of God. You see, there's there's a tendency even for God's most intimate companions to have a Pharisee spirit. I don't, here's my heart. I, let me say it this way. People may hate me because of Jesus, but I never want to give people a reason to hate Jesus because of me. And a Pharisee spirit will totally poison what God's trying to do in somebody's life. Are you receiving this? Let let me wrap this up. Everybody say the far away. Say the Pharisee. Say the physician. Look at what it says in verse 17. When Jesus heard this, he says, hey, listen, guys. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And I have come. My whole purpose. Notice why Jesus came to this earth. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Can I tell you, it is a dangerous thing to be in a place that you think is healthy, but God says, no, your soul is sick. He uses this language of being the great physician. And this language resonates with us, especially here at this church, because you can't be a healing place for a hurting world without a doctor in the house. Can I tell you, there is a doctor in the house today. His name is Jesus. 
And the whole reason why he left heaven was to come for the sickness and the sin of man. It's easy to get an appointment with this doctor. He's always available. And he knows exactly what's wrong with us. There's no misdiagnosis. He's never been sued for malpractice. He knows what he's doing. He, he, he doesn't just treat symptoms, but he gets right to the root causes of our pain. And you know the good news is? Your insurance covers everything. Not just a doctor's visit. Hey, you don't even have to pay a copay. Come on. You have full-blown surgery, and every penny is paid in full. It's the blood of Jesus. There's only one person that Jesus can't help. There's only one. There's only one person that Jesus cannot help. And that's the person that thinks he's already good enough. But for the rest of us who know it's bad, Lord, it's, it's worse than I think. Jesus says, I've come. There's healing for you. If Jesus could do that for a disreputable sinner, a hated and despised tax collector, Jesus says, Levi, I want you to walk away from all of that and come be on my team. If Jesus can do that for him, what do you think he can do for you and me? You know, in, in Matthew's gospel, Levi wrote Matthew, tax collectors are great with records. I mean, they're very, you know, line upon line, documenting. And Matthew's gospel writes Jesus' greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And it starts with this in Matthew 5, 3. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's he saying? Those who know they are bankrupt without Jesus, those are the ones that God wants to bless. Amen. Do you receive that? Come on, put your hands together if you believe that today. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.